Welcome back to the Mindsets podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Angus. Some of you will be familiar with that. Others, if you're new here, great to have you. Uh, today, I'm joined by Milo. Um, this has been a, a long time coming for me. We've been speaking for a little while about doing this and finally got you here. Um, so, do you want to do a little introduction of yourself? Yeah. Uh, my name is Milo McLeod. I am currently a fitness coach and I am an entrepreneur and I come from a background of elite sport and semi-professional ski racing throughout my teens. And now we live in London and uh, kind of balancing work life, fitness life, and also creating content. Right. And there's going to be quite a lot to unpack in this. So going back to early on, you said you come from an elite background. Where did the background start? When I was 10, I moved to the Alps in a place called Léger, which is essentially the redneck part of France. <laughs> and they hate Parisians. So moved there when I was 10, went to French school, got bullied in French school for being English, couldn't speak a word of French for six months. Finally learned to speak French, got good at skiing, and the French didn't like me, so I had to ski by myself. And uh, eventually the next year, um, wanted to go back out skiing because I loved it so much joined a English ski academy um it was called Kandahar Ski Racing and then um got kind of moved over to another academy when I was 12 and then from the age of 12 to the age of 19 I essentially competed internationally Canada Europe spending four to six months a year uh, skiing and essentially competing on like a international level, which was at the time, it was amazing. But looking back, you just like, I can't figure out how lucky I was to be able to, to do that and travel that much as a teenager with my best friends and honestly have the best time in my life. So very grateful for that period. Um, but ski racing is a notoriously underfunded sport. So relying on sponsors, um, there comes a point where you have to make the tough choice of going to uni or basically committing hard. And I chose to go to uni and sacrifice the dream of becoming a ski racer. But here we are today. And I think that background of ski racing has led to everything that I've gone on to since then, really. Now, with um, was your school when you are in the Alps, was it actually in the Alps? Or did you go down the mountain for school? and Proper Alpine. Proper Al so one yeah. thing that I was aware of, um, I spoke a bit in the last episode, uh, Ruby and I had both done a, a season. Yeah. Um, when I was out there, I was very aware that all of the schools, essentially as PE, like their PE class, it was just skiing. Yeah. So how often did you have to ski when you were at school? I think I skied every day. As part of the, like, as part of the curriculum or was it before school? Either part of the curriculum, probably every other day. I used to play ice hockey on Wednesday. So you'd have... Monday, Tuesday school, Wednesday would be a day off. I don't know why. And then Thursday, Friday school again. I think we used to ski Monday and Friday. I'd play ice hockey on Wednesday and then Tuesday and Thursday would just be like normal kind of be. Did they make you train any other way for skiing in terms of like any cardio stuff, any strength based stuff? Or was it just ripping the shit out of those beasts? When I was 10, uh, cardio and strength training wasn't a key focus, <laughs> Fair. but um when i got older for sure it was a big part of my training yeah what um because there'll be some people that might be a little bit more familiar with ski skiing mm. ski sunday or whatever yeah um what was your race 
So I used to do specialising slalom, giant slalom, super G. Um, super G being my favourite. Downhill was the fastest. Um, basically didn't do downhill because my parents would have probably disowned me. And Super G was the, the closest you could get to that. So doing jumps, high speed, sending it basically. Yeah. And just gunning it down a mountain as fast as you can. I um, I raced once in Maribel, um, another area of the French Alps, if anyone doesn't know. And I cannot explain what it was like to be in that starting gate with the little wire that your leg moves. I was, it was a, I think it was giant slalom. I was shooting my way down and the biggest thing was of all my friends I wanted to win. Yeah. And I looked up at the clock as I was coming around the, like one of the like third from last gates. Yeah. And I was like, I am so far ahead. <laughs> like I have, for my own level, I have smashed this. Sent it. And by looking up, I took my eye off the gate and it took my ski off. <laughs> and I then sent it head over heels down into the mountain. They had to pause the race and everyone else. <laughs> so it wasn't wasn't my best move, but it was then that I realised, like, as much as I am blaming it on not looking, my legs were gone. Yeah, no, it's brutal. And it is, uh, for anyone that's done, like, a wall sit, it's that's like one that. of the best ways of training yeah. for skiing because... It's like isometric strength in your quads and your core, and you just have to do that over and over and over and again, and, like, so much leg training it's a joke and plyometrics it's relentless i had no no upper body strength but my legs on point strong so <laughs> I, I when you um you've obviously been in in france for how many years were you living in france so i i did a year where i was proper french school and then from age 11 to 19 i spent my time in chamonix but a british academy right so everyone was english because my question was going to be, if you started, if you decided you did want to compete internationally full time, would you have remained British, or would you had, would you have had, wow, had access to a different nationality of like French? Because you'd lived there for so long. No, I don't. I don't think. Um, maybe I would, but I also wouldn't want to be French. Out of pure principle, so loyal. Yeah, so loyal to the UK, or just anti-French. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> but um, the also the British ski team I'm aware of is is like you said, struggling funding wise, yeah. and it would have been pretty difficult because I mean most of them are still working, kind of a full time job while trying to train for yeah. Olympics and World Champs every year, and that's um that's pretty rough. What was the ultimate reason? Was it just you that made the decision, or were you guided by parents and that sort of thing? Yeah, ultimately it was like my parents saying you can do this you can commit to this mm. but you're gonna have to support yourself and to get far in life as as much as we don't want to talk about money and a lot of things it does allow you to make certain decisions in your life with slightly more comfort and it gets to the point where the future aspects of skiing financials you can see them and say Look, I haven't earned any money from the years I've been doing this. What are the chances I'm going to earn good money in the future on unpredicted outcomes or on competing against other people in an underfunded sport compared to going to uni? Yes, it's a safe option, but I can still go out skiing and still enjoy it. And I actually kind of fell out of love with skiing my last year because I had a lot of like um, race performance anxiety, like uh, yips. Yips, I think. It's yeah, called. yeah. So um, ended up, yeah, moving on from it and not skiing for about two years afterwards. Basically just taking time out because I just couldn't really face going back into it. And now I love it. 
um but as a man who loves at prey ski and like just enjoying the casualness of skiing now, yeah. it's it's so enjoying uh, enjoyable and i do i do miss that competitive aspect but i get that through our other areas of fitness um and to be fair if you go on the on a ski holiday with the right person it's competitive oh, it is, yeah can be more stupid because instead yeah. of having gates to go in and out of you're going in and out of people and young <laughs> children that can't ski yeah um okay so from skiing which i appreciate is still a massive love of yours same for me um did you move straight from france and skiing to come to uni in the uk yeah went to x to uni did sports science um dropped out sports science but always had a love for sports science but for me I had a girlfriend at the time and it was something that without attending university, I was skipping a lot of lectures, a lot of tutorials. I averaged really good grades and I was thinking, why am I paying whatever it was, nine grand a year um, for something that I can basically do learning on YouTube for real. Like it's ultimately a lot of the lectures you just watch online on uh, kind of post basis after it's already done and it gets to the point for me when I was just like I want to earn money I want to live in London I feel like especially having traveled for a year kind of you, you get to that maturity level and having lived abroad for like nine years it gets to the point where you think I'm actually ready to kind of start my working life um, especially when everyone's just like seshing and drinking and I just was kind of over it by that point so I just made the course just drop out which is quite a big, big decision. Huge decision. Um, I moved to London on pretty much minimum wage, got a job at 12 grand a year, um, which for anyone that lives in London knows that that basically... Doesn't, pays, cover, doesn't cover rent now. No, basically is TFL charges yeah. each, each week. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the reason why I dropped out. What, what year was that that you dropped out? Uh, I was 20... I, I was... I was 19, so I was just before... Still first year? Yeah, yeah. Just before the end of... The day before my exams, I dropped out. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, at least you didn't, you know, start the exams and then... Yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, I uh, I think everyone that's been to university has deeply at one point considered dropping out. Yeah. And for me, it was... I almost got too stuck in before I really thought about it. And then it was like, I'm already, like, whatever it was, 18, 27 grand in the hole from this. I might as well just finish it off, get the degree, and then see what I can do after. Yeah. But everyone is different. And there there are quite a few more people now that are realizing that because of the presence of the internet and that sort of thing, they don't necessarily need university anymore. And I think that is very valid. Like schools do push you down into that route. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the right route for everyone. And you don't need a degree to do an awful lot of things. Um, but you wanted to come to London. Hmm. Why? We had a girlfriend, that's why. Who was in London? Yeah. Right. Girlfriend lived in Fulham. And it was always something that I wanted to do. Both of my parents met when they were in London. They both had businesses in London. It seemed like, you know, when you're younger and you come to London with your family, you get that like nostalgic thing. You see, you go to Paddington, you've seen Paddington Bear. And it's just like everything about London is so exciting when you're younger. And the dream of living there for me was such a big kind of career goal at that time I always just I'm going to live in London after university I'm going to do it no matter I had no idea what I was going to do but I was like I'm going to live in London um, I'm going to live with my best friends we're going to live together we're going to have a great time ultimately things work out slightly different to that but 
I love living in London um, and the opportunity that it brings to both your career but also your kind of personal life meeting people like yourself and other people that are like trying to achieve their goals pushing themselves both in their career but also fitness and vocationally I think is there's no other city that you can do that with I grew up when I was really young in London and I then family moved out for school different schools um and then I went up to university in the Midlands stayed in the Midlands working for a while I've come back down I really wasn't looking forward to living in London really because everything from my perspective everything was cheaper in the Midlands yeah I could save a lot more money I could do a lot more things with that money as a result um I found that people were nicer in the Midlands I didn't feel dirty using the public transport everything like that I was very comfortable but I was aware that I needed to make a slight change in my career and that ultimately that would lead me down to London. And I knew that everyone that has come to London ends up loving it. And I was just like, I don't think I'm the sort of person that wants to go out multiple times a week. I don't want to be in, um, is it Inferno's in Clapham? I don't want to be- Don't tell me you don't know the name. <laughs> I I, uh, I didn't want to be the person that was in Inferno's three times a week or whatever. Yeah. And so I really wasn't sure about it. And now that I've moved down here, I had no idea there was so much going on. Mm -hmm. And there's so many different types of people. There's so many groups of people. And um, we'll come on to this eventually. The sort of thing that you've set up has opened a massive network of people that, um, like you said, are, are driven by the same sort of goals and values mm -hmm. that I have. And that's huge for me. And I can only imagine that as much as it was pretty terrifying when you left university to come to London, when you actually got here, as difficult as it was, did you find that immediately? Or were you a bit like, oh, shit. Oh no, I was like, I was lost for a good few years. Um, I essentially had this kind of relationship that didn't necessarily foster the best in each of, each of us. Um, it was very much one of those relationships that we put on like, I don't know what you call it, rate of relationship weight. So I was heavy, unfit, didn't exercise. Like I, I, I probably didn't go to the gym for like three years. Um, At the time though, did that before before those three years was the gym very much part of your life yeah yeah i was um okay. even at uni like i had a job at uni and still train um just because of like the background of, in in skiing it was always such a big part of my life and i wasn't training to be in bodybuilding or anything like that i just trained because i enjoyed it um well i fell into a relationship where it just wasn't a part at all and the the kind of training that i used to do kind of turned into dominoes and Papa John's and takeaways and going out and getting absolutely off my face on a Wednesday and then crawling into work on a Thursday. And it essentially comes down to the fact that all of my friends were still at uni. So I had to make friends by being friends with my girlfriend's friends. And if, <laughs> if you've been in a relationship, you can also attest that the, your girlfriend's friends, your boyfriend's friends, are not your friends, they're their friends. And when you hang out with them, it's because you're friends to a girlfriend. And often after a breakup, you realize that you're probably never going to see those people again. Um, and it kind of didn't set me down a very good path in terms of drinking um, and other things, um, both with my own kind of mental health as well as kind of physical health. It was, it was not a good couple of years. Um, but sometimes I do, I do believe that you kind of have to hit an element of rock bottom to realize that this is not what you came here for. I did not come to London to be fat, unhealthy, 
unhappy. I came here to like make a better life for myself. And this is not the way that I anticipated this, this going. So there have been those low points and I think they're incredibly vital. And I look back on them and I'm grateful for them. But to get to those points was absolutely brutal and I would never want to do that again. But looking back in the kind of head in the in the mirrors, it feels like a big turning point for me of like mindset shift. What was the um the most positive thing you remember about that time? I set up my proper first company. Mm-hmm. Um when I was in a relationship, I um essentially left my job. Um in sales, working in finance, and set up my own marketing agency. We had a rough seven months. I didn't earn anything, zero, for probably seven, eight months. I remember just racking up credit card debt, borrowing off friends, family to pay rent, borrowing off my girlfriend at the time. Um, and everyone kind of supporting me or just enabling me and not questioning. Um, my ideas at the time to to kind of push forward in that and if people did question me i'd kind of just completely like blank them off um i'm glad i did because that enabled me to basically work for the next four years um through that company and if i didn't go through those eight months of basically earning absolutely nothing and racking up loads of debt i never would be in the place i am today just was that uh teaching in terms was it was it lesson learning in a similar sense of you've gone down a particularly bad route and now you're you're learning about the real way that life works mm, exactly because uh, starting starting your own company it's um it's not as easy as it sounds on paper i this is probably me being like the younger generation and anyone that's older than me hearing this would be like oh grow up it was never easy but with the with the idea of internet and everything and everyone has to go through an internet system and is so much more quick mm. i feel like maybe in back in the day it was easier to run a business because everything was done with cash and the books didn't have to necessarily be all up to date whereas now like everything is so pressurized and even i um started a a company in covid and just doing the government stuff was stressful enough let alone actually trying to make it a thing yeah um and i have pretty much given up on it it's really stressful because I, i still have the name of the company i'm not willing to let it go i don't know why there's part of me that wants to hold on to doing emotional attachment exactly um and so yearly i pay the fee to hold the name so no one else can have it but i haven't really done anything with it and for you to turn it into something in the situation that you're in i think it says a lot about the fact that you were still able to get something out of that period but it also says a lot about the fact that the stress of that was clearly impacting your outer life at the time massively when when you said it was over a, a couple of years. Yeah. When did you start to try to pull yourself out? What what made you really realize? What was the moment? Yeah. So I I was with my um, ex for three years in total, and I think from about year after the second year, um, things kind of progressively got worse, and ultimately, I it it became not really a relationship where we're bettering each other. It became a relationship where. I was kind of treading on eggshells. Everything I did, it would be, it feels like when you're in that that situation that you can't do anything right and everything that you do is your fault. Even if you are going for lunch with your mum, it's kind of where have you been, what have you been doing, why have you been doing it, to 
um, even going on a night out with friends um, and saying that I'll see you tomorrow or something like that and getting hundreds of missed calls um, and feeling like you're just basically a punch bag for that person um, emotionally as well. And that leads to a physical manifestation of feeling shit about yourself because when someone is making you feel like that and telling you that you're shit and you're shit at being a boyfriend, you're shit at doing this or whatever it is, you start to believe it because it's over such a long period of time and you've fallen in love with this person that when they're telling you something, you believe it because the person that they are that you fall in love with, you think, oh my God, they're amazing. And that you kind of get Svengali'd into this effect where you're absolutely under the thumb, essentially, and lost self-respect um, ultimately in the end of the, at the end of the day. Um, and it took essentially a holiday with some of my friends who I essentially didn't see for about a year. We went on a holiday just down to Solcombe. And I just realized that this was the first time I'd been happy in like 18 months. And I was like, this is so, so fucking weird. I was like, I have not felt like this in so long. We were playing Ultimate Frisbee. I literally remember the moment like crisp. I was like, we were playing Ultimate Frisbee. I was like, I genuinely haven't felt like this in so long. I was like, I need to make, I need to make this change. I was like, I know what I need to do. And I texted my girlfriend that day and said, look, when I'm back, let's have a conversation. Um, and when I got back, I went on a walk and basically just, I just said that I'm not happy. And I don't think either of us were happy. And I don't think it was a relationship that could have been saved or be beneficial for either of us. So I think it was one of those that had to be done. Just neither of us wanted to do it. And sometimes those are the most painful ones. But I'm very grateful now to, that I did do that. Um, because at the time, it's you can't think about anything else. It's horrific. Was it a sort of defined cutoff at that point? It stayed there? Yeah, I haven't seen her since. Some um, quite rare today for mm. that to go on, but it sounds like probably for the both of you, it was the right thing. And quite often what a lot of people should do is, yes. is appreciate that the time was spent, take it for what it was. Agreed. And then and then move on from it. Because ultimately, if you're not actually moving on from it, then you're not really learning from it. No, I agree. Um, I, I don't regret any of it at all. I think there are lessons for both of us to learn from it. And I think it's definitely a period of my time, which I think I could have used better but the lessons I learned from it in both a kind of relationship and also like an emotional standpoint, I think are super important for me now. And were you were you like living together or were you living separately? Yeah, so but probably the biggest mistake I did was when I moved to London. We basically, I'd moved into her place, right. which is definitely on me. Like I fully respect that. And, but then after that, we also then moved into another apartment in Wandsworth. And then... Um, moved into my apartment in Ealing both together she then moved back to Somerset but essentially we spent two years together yeah living together how did the um how did the move out situation happen she moved back for like health reasons um back home so it wasn't like a case of you know the awkward kind of like I think we should move separately yeah so it was never that it was more so like I'm moving home because I'm taking time off work. I want to see my mum, which I, which which was fine. Um, and actually, because we're both from the same 
places I should end up seeing more of my family so it was never a problem but the whole relationship compromised of me basically not seeing my friends and we'd do everything together which everyone knows that having time to focus on yourself is so important and there was just never any of that for either of us so is that was that your focus after ended was to start spending more time with yourself yeah I essentially made a a five-year plan you made a five-year plan yeah how did that come about what what I made a commitment to myself because I feel like I'd been mistreated um, and both I, I feel like I'd mistreated myself. Ultimately. I was going to say, have you, have you decided that it was you that was mistreating yourself? Or was yeah, it? It, was ma- it was mainly me that I had a problem with um, and I just I was so almost ashamed that I'd let myself fall into this pattern of um, just like nihilism and just like it was just it was just it was just terrible um what was happening and uh, how i allowed that for myself um so i said five years i'm not going to get into a committed relationship i will go on dates and see people and be completely honest with them saying look i'm here let's have a drink let's have a nice time whatever but i'm focusing on myself this is like my self-development era whatever and i said look this is my focus for the next couple of years my career and working on myself and like finding what makes me happy and also getting myself to a point where I'm really happy by myself to the point where I I don't need someone else in my life to make me happy and if someone comes in and they match we we both match each other's goals each other's kind of like um, spontaneity and we both want to push forward and elevate each other fantastic and I don't think you should settle for anything less than that. You should be improving each other's lives, not compromising each other. I think <clears throat> something I always thought about, because I, I was at university when I met my girlfriend. And um, in all honesty, if you told me that, I think for either of us, like we were going to have a girlfriend or boyfriend that would go on as long as it has since then, mm. we'd both been like, absolutely not yeah but i think folk like the, the biggest thing was i i was so comfortable in myself and like you said I, my opinion on it is that you need to be 100 percent happy with your own time your own company and if someone else comes along that can add to that not take away from it or even just keep it as level they have to add so it's more than 100 percent going on yeah then that's someone that's worth agreed the sort of the the commitment really that's um, a good um uh, analogy is like a cheeseburger you gotta have like a really you've got to be a really good cheeseburger that's absolutely banging as it is to be super happy with that cheeseburger and if they come in they bring a little bit of bacon some caramelized onions smashing pickles mm, i don't know about pickles oh okay. that's baggage for me <laughs> <laughs> okay but if they're taking you away and you've got no patty left and the meat's gone your soul's gone that's that's not you've got you've got to have you've got to be a full burger before you meet someone else you've got to be happy with that i like your analogy i'm going to rework it and say that for me the obvious the best part of the burger is everything between the bun Mm -hmm. but a burger can be made or broken by the bun if you have one of those shitty flour ones that you get from school or if you've got a lovely toasted brioche bun that's what you need and i'm aware that i'm now talking about buns and that's not what i really mean this don't turn this into something that it's not <laughs> but you want you want the the right thing around the burger to make the burger better agree yeah okay. definitely 
cool massive tangent there yeah i love that but right bringing it back you're into this era and you you wrote a five-year plan yeah so was it really detailed was it like step by step this is what i'm going to do or was it like this is where i want to be in one year this is where i want to be in two years it wasn't necessarily this is what i want to be it was more so i'm very goal orientated so i have a big goal book and i set out numerous different goals those could have been buying a car buying it, it was down to the point of like buying calvin klein boxes something like that or like getting in shape was literally one of my goals just getting in shape it wasn't competing in bodybuilding it was just getting back in shape then it was um buying um my 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 first house this property has always been a massive goal for me and i didn't think i would be able to do that in a short amount period of time but by writing it down and kind of working towards that and driving that as my kind of sole purpose i was able to achieve that which is amazing to think and looking back on it now in that goal book that i've got a highlighter literally crossing it out um so what the plan entailed was not a time orientated thing of by six months i want to achieve this by eight months i want to achieve that small goals big goals it was just an amalgamation of everything i wanted to be as a person written down and as much as i could do there was no real structure of like how to achieve it it was like okay we're, we're the my mindset is coming back now so let's like look to improve that by reading a little bit more self-development books i loved how how i can make you rich by paul mckenna so i was like let's read some of his other books and it was just like a slow progress of improving each aspect that was in that book and kind of making it into the person i wanted to be and slowly working towards that but there was never any kind of structure or anything that came with it it was kind of just trial and error and discipline where are you on that five-year plan now i finished it you finished it yeah when so i was 21 it, when did it end? um i was 21 when it went when i said that i was going to do it i'm 26 so it ended sometime earlier this year ended in july this year have you sat down and written year six and seven or i've sat down and um written a few goals for next year but ultimately the five-year plan was more so relationship based it was very much just like please do not screw yourself (laughs) over again (laughs) so now it's at the point where i'm like i'm open to meeting people and being just a little bit more emotionally available whereas the last five years have been completely emotional unavailable switch it off and closed off from everything and didn't want to feel anything um which people can say what they want to say about it but has allowed me to get to the point where i am today and i'm grateful for that um but I, i could have missed opportunities for sure to meet the right person but it is what it is if they're the right person then you wouldn't have missed them exactly um okay so somewhere along this plan i'm assuming this wasn't written on paper but when i started following you i so i discovered my own tiktok about a year and a half ago so when i followed and you were doing gym videos there was loads of memes in there i was yeah. like this guy he knows his memes he i does. appreciate the location of the memes in the videos um so i was like yeah i'll follow and then one of the things for me and one of the reasons that i'm so gassed to finally have you on this is when i started doing my whole podcast thing or even being interested in making my own content or anything like that i asked you on one of your videos what microphone it was that you were using i remember this and i remember 
you responded like within the hour and i was like no way like this guy is such a like good bloke like <laughs> down to earth all of this the main thing initially that drew me into each of those videos and this wasn't that i felt like you were hitting on me because i knew the, <laughs> the target market yeah however where in this five-year plan did hello sexy come from it's a great question great question <laughs> i think like i come from a, like a marketing background um in terms of i'm i've always been super interested in like marketing and digital marketing so i used to grow instagram accounts when i was younger and sell shout outs and shit to pay for like a people at school you could get like tuck shop and stuff so i just like sell instagram shout outs and get like 50 quid and like buy pizza and like do Your random stuff. was different. It was like lollipops and not part <laughs> yeah. lunch. We, we lived in a town so you could like pop out and get a pizza or lunch. So oh. it was great. Um, but Hello Sexy became a thing because I was always, I'm always loved making videos. Like I can go back on YouTube and watch videos of me when I'm like seven years old and they're still there. But I've always loved video editing and it's kind of, been a goal of mine to always have a love of fitness but have a goal of working in fitness in some in some way of form so i thought it wasn't going to be sports science because i dropped out of uni how can i help people now that i've kind of changed my mindset and changed my life through getting back into shape and recording kind of my um, journey through that and working towards stuff so i thought how can i get people's attention in a very short amount of time because people have a three second attention span now you've got to grab someone quickly you've got to grab someone with a unique catchphrase or a unique kind of um, aesthetic that people recognize you immediately and want to watch you and if you're consistent they will remain watching and who doesn't like to be called sexy exactly no most one. people are most people are watching these when they're alone on the, i mean no one yeah. sits in tiktok in a room full of their friends do they, they <laughs> they're on their own and being getting a little compliment like that straight into the video yeah so ultimately that led to a slightly more female dominant audience um because of that um but now i've kind of adapted some of my content to be not hello sexy based so i still want to have a community where i speak with guys because it's far more relatable some of my experiences um with guys so i don't want to be completely um have my community completely female based so being able to appeal to both men and women i think as a creator is super important because um it allows people to meet especially in person and whether or not they want to date each other is completely different but having both men and women i feel is really great just in terms of creating community that can go out for drinks together and some of the girls can go for coffee together whatever that is um and the guys can um message me about particular things that i've gone through and i can relate to them more um so hello sexy is part of the brand and part of the fabric um but it's not something that i would say defines me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think that i've noticed as well is uh, like i noticed your content was kind of shifting into a slightly different way and like I don't want to say like the positive or negative way because I think what was what you were putting out there before was good but I think you're right in terms of having this balance and I've certainly noticed a lot more like guys in, mm. in your following and that kind of thing based on the people that we've met at some of the things yeah. you've been uh hosting as well but you've now that was all around the time I assume that you still had 
the business that you'd set up and then you've yeah. now become like an online coach. Yes. So how how does that work? How does online coaching work? So I essentially, um, this year my business went into liquidation. Um, so just through market circumstances and just in general, you can try to keep it running for a year and it was making no money. So ultimately you have to make the hard choice sometimes. And it was very emotional, um, that decision, but it is what it is. And through everything that I've achieved through that company, I now have certain expenses, which one in London has to pay. Otherwise you're screwed. So, um, ultimately you have to find another revenue source, whether or that's, um, through a job or through earning your own company. I also have a property services company, so that has been great in terms of keeping me going but online coaching is always something i wanted to do because i've had so many people reach out over the past few years and said like how did you get from x to x or how did you improve your motivation your discipline everything like this and having a method where you can help people and having a platform where it enables you to connect with people and help them along their journey has been so impactful for them but also for me um and enabled me to essentially grow as a coach but also help people unlock the like value in themselves a lot of people don't feel like they can do a lot of different things and when you just give them a small amount of confidence and you can tell them right this week for example we're going to run your first 10k i know you've never run it before and I don't want you to run it quickly. You can walk, you can jog, you can do what, even if you crawl the last 1K, I, I believe that you can do it. You can do it. And when people do it and they see that they can do it, it changes that mindset shift of a negative one. Oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. To what if I can do that? I've just done that. What if I can do this? Maybe I should sign up to a half marathon or maybe I should do some powerlifting. And it's like, helping people to achieve that little switch in mindset for me is like being the most profound thing and getting messages like a screenshot of like a marathon booking that's like the most unreal thing or someone getting like a 5k pb um and that they've never ever run before this because that was me like i'd, I'd never really run before this year so helping people to achieve their own journeys is massive and building a community around that where people can come and to the kind of revive events, which I'm sure we'll talk about and meet other people that are interested in the th same things and not feel like they're alone. Cause a lot of online coaching can feel very like individual and you're up in Leeds or you're in Manchester and you never see your coach in London, a lot of where a lot of the community is based, everyone can kind of interact with each other and help each other, which I think is a massive part of it. Now that you've, you've got set up with it, uh, how long, how long have you been doing online, online coaching now? So I've been working on it for about a year. Um, we only really launched a few months ago. How is the, uh, how are you finding it? Very different style of work to what you were doing before, right? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've always kind of coached a few people in the past, like just off, kind of just off my own, um, off my own back and then uh, in person and, and stuff like that. But just, it's never really been a focus for me when I, when I've been working in other sectors um and to be honest been loving it and putting more of a focus onto it i think has been a massive benefit for me 
both in the kind of community aspect of it, but also mentally helping other people achieve their goals for me is like the biggest serotonin boost. I feel great doing that. I think one thing that I've noticed, obviously, you said you've been doing it for a year now. Having seen, like I said, I'd, I'd start to see that your content had shifted, but also mm. the way that you were training has shifted. And um, I feel like your your clients must be getting the boost of that because you're doing so many different things. Yeah. This year, I'm aware, has been an incredible year for you. Um, quite a lot has happened, but at the same time, I'm aware that it hasn't always been necessarily yeah. easy in terms of things that have happened. Yeah. Um, what have been your biggest three moments this year? Best or just biggest? Biggest. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, signing the liquidation papers for my company was a real bad, real bad day. Um, and this this year is not by any means. It's probably been the hardest year of my life, no doubt. Um, uh, horrific at some points, but also amazing at others. Um, and I think that that was a big key moment for me. Second key moment was when I completed the goal that I set out to do, which was running a marathon and also doing a bodybuilding men's physique show on the same day. I think I know what the third one is. Oh, okay. Go for it. I, no, I don't want to say it. I want to jump to what you said there. So the second one, you achieved a marathon and a bodybuilding competition, which mm. as far as I'm aware, and I assume as far as you're aware, no one has ever done that before. Nope. How did that come about? How did you decide that you were going to run a marathon in the first place from where you were doing more like a bit of powerlifting and bodybuilding training? Yeah. And then also, not only did you do a bodybuilding competition and get on stage fully tanned up, but you did it at the Gymshark mm -hmm. bodybuilding competition in Manchester. Most people would go, what went wrong? What what yeah. happened? Well, the business closing was probably a good reason. <laughs> um, but I always have wanted to compete since I kind of got back into shape after my relationship. And competing was always a kind of goal when people come up to you in the gym and be like, oh, you should you should try go on stage. And you kind of brush it off being like, nah, like, what are you talking about? This only really happens when you're really lean. Um, but then people come up to you and say, oh, you're like stage lean or you look like you could be a bodybuilder or whatever. Ultimately, the people that you're competing against are 10 times bigger and have 10 times more PETs. Um, I don't have any. So <laughs> uh, the the way it came about was I, after powerlifting earlier on this year, I was weighing about 250 pounds, which is about 117, 18 kilos, which is quite heavy. Very heavy, yeah. Yeah, I was very heavy. Going upstairs was a bit of a bit of a chore. So after that, I had the big goal of cutting down weight for a men's physique show. I, I knew that I wanted to do that. And I'd put on a lot of muscle, but I'd also put on a lot of fat. So it was a very strict six-month plan of losing weight progressively over that and making my diet super sustainable. Because I was eating 5,000 calories a day for six months. I had For to some people, that's a YouTube challenge in itself. Yeah. That's just day. every day, okay. every day. I'd go home after dinner and have dinner. So it was relentless. And it was incremental. So every week, on average, I lost about a kilo a week all the way through those six months, um, looking close to like 30 kilos over that whole period. So it was a very transformative journey, not only physically, but very much mentally and emotionally um, through that. And 
a way of cutting that I was implementing was obviously diet being the main one. But through cardio, I said this year, I didn't want to get on a treadmill. I didn't want to go on a Stairmaster. I didn't want to sit on a, whatever it was, one of those spin bikes in the gym. I didn't want to do any cross training. I wanted to get outside. I wanted to try different sports. That was one thing I wanted to do this year was just try everything, try anything. Why not? So I signed up to a triathlon because I was like, I want to get out there. I want to try a different sport and I want to help my cutting. That was ultimately the goal. It was just to basically stop myself from doing cardio in the gym. So I did a few swim sessions, got out on the bike a couple of times, started running very badly. May I say <laughs> I was not good at running. I completed that triathlon, really enjoyed it. Like I'd never done anything like it before. And then after that, that was in August, but in May when I'd started running, I was very, very heavy still. Had shin splints, had knee pain, hip pain. And I thought, do you know what? Like the only way for me to get into running properly is going to be if I get a goal. Like I'm so goal, goal orientated. I need to set something in place and I will achieve that. And I need to find that love of running that everyone talks about. What is this running high? Why do I have the running low? Why is it shit? Why does it hurt <laughs> so much? Why are my feet hurting? Why do my knees hurt? Why is my back hurting? What, what, what is this good bit of running that everyone's talking about? I had no idea. So I thought, let's book a marathon. Yeah. Me and my best mate, Mike, we're watching. Well, by the way, most people, most people start maybe a 10K, maybe a half. <laughs> yeah. Let's just book a marathon. <laughs> yeah. Just no half arsing. So me and my best mate, Mike, watching... Uh, hardest geezer russ cook on yeah. youtube watching him run through africa doing 80k a day or 60k a day whatever it was Ridiculous. in 38 degrees or 40 degree heat madness madman he's doing this every day all we've got to do is run 42 and he's doing it in outrageous heat awful conditions and he's doing it day in day out basically on jelly beans what are the odds that an x two x professional athletes can do it pretty high we can do it it's gonna hurt but we can do it so we committed to that around goodwood racetrack we booked it 30 pounds not the most notorious um place for a marathon but we decided that was going to be the one and throughout that training a month of it was horrific feeling pain everywhere knees gone shins gone calves cramping everything couldn't run 2k at the start actually i'd do about a thousand meters have to walk maybe another k maybe 500 meters walk hills walk couldn't do anything and then slowly i basically put in a reward system that i would run to the pub with my housemate and we'd go there i still wasn't drinking but we'd have fish and chips or we'd have a diet coke at the end of it and it was like that reward system for me it was like a 4k loop and eventually i could do that 4k loop without stopping and that was the moment then where I started to adventure out on some longer runs, maybe like five, six, seven. I remember that first 8K that I did was the first time I got a runner's high. And I felt like I was Usain Bolt running through Streatham. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like the music hit. I wasn't in pain. It was the first run that I didn't have any pain. And I remember texting Mike being like, this is the first time I've not been in pain. And I now get it, but it takes five, six, seven, depends on who you are. But it took me 
six weeks for that to even happen. I think uh, I don't. It's weird. I, I still have occasionally felt this absolute elation, and then as a result of that, I probably push myself slightly too far, and then I hate it again. But I noticed that after about four or five weeks, I stopped thinking about the entire run when i started the entire run was how far can i go before i die but also how far am i going to make myself go so if i knew that i was going to go and run to somewhere and then back around to where i was living mm. i would be like the whole time i'd be like okay i've just got to make it to that corner how far have i got left and i'd be working out in my head i'd be like okay i've got about 2k left and then 10 seconds later okay i've done that 50 meters and what i was just thinking about that the whole time yeah. whereas now and after those four or five weeks the music goes in or a podcast or something and I switch off. Yeah. My feet do their own thing. I try to keep them at the same rhythm. Sometimes Strava man gets in my ear and tells me. Yeah, my turn them off. Yeah. <laughs> and I, like sometimes I just go out and like explore. Yeah. Just London's put, great for that. And you can, yeah, there's so, you'll see some of the maddest shit in London as yeah. well. You'll be out on a run and, and two cars, like last night I was running, two cars decided to pull up, drive towards each other in the middle of the road both drivers got out and decided to have a shouting match <laughs> buses weren't having it and it, you know that distracted me for a nice 20 30 seconds yeah um and i think that's what it was i was able to switch off the part of my brain that was hating everything mm. and just sort of look around and get enjoy a bit more it. comfortable and enjoy what i was doing being out and about i think that's the biggest shift is that when you start stop clock watching and start enjoying that process and thinking I don't need to be anywhere. I'm not in a rush for anything. Let's just enjoy it. This is my time. I'm not on my phone. No one's distracting me. So I'm doing not disturb. I don't need to be anywhere. No one needs me for anything. I'm here doing this for myself. When you do that, you just have that like deep breath and you think, I can chill. I'm going to enjoy this for every benefit that it gives me. Now, I can appreciate that that's how you were training when you had Goodwood Insight. And Goodwood happened on December the... Third. Third. And I remember being on my phone on the sofa one evening after a draining day at work and I went on Instagram and then you have decided to go and do a relaxed ten K. Mm. What the fuck happened that evening? I'd had a um a particularly interesting day of work and something had obviously gone wrong <laughs> and running is throughout that journey been a way of figuring out how I feel about certain things and often we can make really rash decisions based in the moment and I set out a kind of rule for me and my business partner that if we are feeling a particular way after something's come up we both just go out we go on a run we come back to it the next day um, so I thought okay said to my housemate I'm going on a run I'd just come back from having lunch out, hadn't eaten dinner. It was about six o'clock and all I'd had was some, I think I had a chicken breast and some rocket for lunch. And I was like, I'm going on a run, probably be 10K. I'll be back in like an hour. Um, not going to stand it too hard, take it chill. Pouring rain, standard London evening in um, August. Basically hit 10K and... I turned off all of the notifications on Strava that tell you your pace, whatever it is, you've hit a kilometer X, put on do not disturb. And then essentially looked at my phone, I'd run around Clapham, I'd run around Battersea and I'd also run around Tooting. And I was on about 17K at that point. I thought, 
do you know what? I looked at when I was in Bassey Park, I looked at the shard from a distance and it lit up at the top. I thought the shard looks quite good. Why don't we just run over there? So went across Bassey Bridge and I just know that route so well. So I didn't have my phone out at all. Ran to the shard. Um, I think I was basically around 30, 30K then at that point. And uh, my phone had died. My headphones had died or well, my phone was about to die. So it was on airplane mode, GPS still, still allowed. Um, my headphones had died, but they're over ear ones. So I had to wear them. Oh, jingling around. lovely sweat. Yeah. And uh, so I couldn't listen to anything. And I had to basically had to run home. And by the time I got home, I'd run 43 kilometers on a wild Thursday evening. Um, and my housemate opened the door. <laughs> he was like, are you okay? I was like, no. <laughs> um, and it was like the first moment for me where I realized that what had running had given me was a way for me to process my emotions. It wasn't something that was just a physical activity. It wasn't, I'm going to go and go on a run for some calories and burn and increase my expenditure. It was, this is a way for me to think through my own thoughts and process them and come back the next day with a clear mind. It's not just a physical activity. And for some people that seems absolutely fucking mad. Um, and I get that because I was in a huge amount of pain the day after. But what it then led me on to was uh, such a clear mind. And I cannot explain that to someone that doesn't run. It's kind of like it just wipes all the shit off. And everything that you're overwhelmed by kind of just gets cleared. I think the thing is, it, I completely agree. You could lock yourself in a room with nothing in that room. Almost mm -hmm. like solitary confinement. And you could sit there and be like, I'm going to sort this out mentally. And you won't. Because for some reason, there are still, in, a, in an empty room, you can still be so distracted by so many thoughts. Yeah. And for some reason, when you're running, you're so focused on achieving the, the purpose of the run. And that I think you become so internally motivated that you, you focus on what you need to focus on. Yeah. And as much as, and this is, this is one of the things when you get more experience at running, you can switch off worrying about your pace and everything like that yeah. and not dying you can start to think about, think your way through those problems. And that's certainly exactly. like, if I, people can probably actually figure out, I've never thought about this. People can probably figure out how people are doing mentally by looking at their Strava distances. Probably good. Because if you see <laughs> someone's doing one 5K a week, they're Gucci, they're yeah. fine. If they're doing 20Ks three times a week, that person might need a little check-in. Yeah, um, unless they're marathon training. Then. Yeah. And uh, well, for this, for this marathon, so first and foremost, yeah. That video is what made me start running. I love that. And um, we're doing some some very different types of runs today as a result of that. Um, and was that a marathon what made you decide that you could do a marathon on the same day as your bodybuilding competition, which was still before Goodwood? To be honest, I didn't know that I could do a marathon on the same day as the bodybuilding competition. I said I'd maybe do a half to right. my management. I said, do you know what? I reckon I could do a half marathon to my mate James. And he was like, sounds sick. I back you. And then I saw Gabriel, who um, you might know. Um, he's a big runner and he is incredibly fast. I think he does 230. I may be doing disservice. He may be quicker than that. That's disgusting. Yeah, for a marathon. He said, why don't you just do a marathon on the same day? <laughs> Obviously, he's a runner. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, I mean, you have a point. It sounds better. 
Um, so I was just thought, how hard could it be? And it was really hard. Um, so it kind of led to all my training for the bodybuilding competition, doing 30K runs whilst kind of depleting and having such low calories. As I say, you're not runs. No. much at all. So yeah, we were kind of sticking to 2000 calories, if that, for a lot of the last few weeks whilst kind of doing 25K, 32Ks, not fueling, not doing anything, black coffee at the end, no pastries for me. It was really hard. Um, probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do psychologically. Yeah. And I think the the funny thing about it is you obviously came off stage, like I said, fully glowed up <laughs> yeah. um, with that. How did how did the bodybuilding competition go? You obviously said that there wasn't a there wasn't a comparable No. There were only two natural people in my class. Everyone else was on some sort of performance enhancing drug. And I came first out of the two natural people. Oh, that's uh, so I came so you won. second last, but you first. won. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I won. Um but it was do you know what it wasn't I, I said to other people about it, it wasn't something that i've ever like thought to compete against other people in it was for me to see what i'm capable of yeah that was always my thoughts even a few years ago when i first got lean i saw what what could i do what am i what are my limits that i could push this to especially with like certain insecurities that we will have but particularly aesthetics wise not kind of matching and being um out of proportion in some areas and just seeing what i could genuinely just push myself to do despite this has always been a big goal of mine to show to other people that yes right you may have a bit of scoliosis or your um you might not have the best insertions or whatever it is but you can still push your body to do it and there's no rule saying that you can't get on stage and you can't show the world what you're capable of and you can't be proud of that so for me getting on stage i just said to myself just enjoy it like you've done six months of work for this you're not going to win. You're not going to beat the guys out there that are weighing double you. You're going to just enjoy this process because this is what you set out to do. And you know what? After this, none of these guys are going to go run, run a marathon, are they? So we're going to win that. And I didn't know if I was going to finish the marathon, but I said, you're going to go run a marathon. We're going to get it done. And I had barely any water and I was really struggling that day. But just the vibes and the enjoyment I got from being on stage just carried me through the whole of the rest of the day. Got the marathon done. Got it done. Yeah. And uh, and then you sort of started to actually prepare more properly for your marathon. And it was going so swimmingly. Yeah. So we we now at this point in the marathon prep, we've done two marathons, which is not in general advised. Um, but for me, it was very important to know that I could do it mentally um, but it was more so as a physical pursuit I knew that I could reach that distance I yeah. knew what that pain felt like I wanted to know what I'm going to be facing on the day didn't want to go into it with that kind of like oh I've run 36k but I've never done the 42 I don't know how those last 7k are going to feel or 6k so going into it I knew going into the Goodwood Marathon I knew what to expect but this time I wasn't going to finish. I was going for a time. And I put the pressure on now of like, right, you've you've done a marathon. You know what you can do. Now it's time to take it up a notch. I know this is technically my first actual official marathon, but why should I go slow? Mm -hmm. Like I'm 
always pushing myself. What was your pace goal per kilometer? 4.55. That's rapid. So, Considering it's like your first yeah. as well. It was sub five. Yeah. So it was sub 3.30 was the goal. Um, originally it was sub four. Then as I got through prep, I was like, we can go quicker than that. So I dropped it down to 3.30. Ended up doing 3.24. And it was in the rain. It was brutal. So this is something that I didn't realize. I I knew that you were doing this mm-hmm. and I didn't I didn't know what your, your projected time was. But what I can say that I had no idea with, with Goodwood is that I just assumed like every other marathon that you see, New York Marathon, London Marathon, there is a route and you start and you finish. Mm-hmm. I became aware of your Strava map when you were at Goodwood and... Was it 11 laps? 11 laps, yeah. Running the same thing 11 times. Yeah. Has to be like mind-numbing. Yeah. The problem was as well is that the the spectators for a marathon like that, they were only 100 meters long, the stands. And because it was raining, no one was going around the track supporting other areas of the track. So you have 100 meters of support. And then you have 4.1 kilometers of your own head and wow. the rain and the wind. So it was um, the first 25K, me and my best mate that were doing it, Mike, we would essentially slipstream each other to battle the headwind um, and the rain. So he would go in front and I would go in front. And the 25K, we separated. Um, he was going for sub four. He ended up getting 340, which is amazing. Sick. That's yeah. well under so. yeah. well under four. And I was going for 330 and um, got 324. So both of us were super happy. And ultimately those last few kilometers when you're by yourself in the rain and the wind you've got to like you've you find what you need to find yeah to get it done there's nothing else that would get you through it no matter what training you've done is just all in your head at that mm-hmm. stage and uh, you were obviously balancing this whole thing mm-hmm. in terms of you you did it i can imagine that it was amazing you probably in quite a lot of pain i was thinking he's balancing this he's balancing revive which we'll, we'll talk about now and then you know he's probably gonna take a week off chill out figure out what he wants to do less than a week later you did a 5k yeah six days in yeah six days you did a 5k like race basically yeah race. and you went and just set a pb in that as well right yeah yeah we did a 1905 which was pretty outrageous for me i used to run a 5k in 30 minutes at the start of june that was my that was my 5k time which is which is mad marathon in sub 330 and then a 5k sub 20 is insane within the space of a week especially when it's first time for both yeah (laughs) and then again just talking to you there's more mad mad stuff planned for next year hmm what's going on it's just continuing you seem to be on this upward ramp and is yeah. it is it part of where you you see yourself in a year's time that you want to do this or are you just doing it like you said at the beginning this year you want to give everything a go and see what happened is it still on that sort of wave it's definitely an element of like giving everything a go but it's also what what am i bad at that i could get good at it's like i was terrible at running i was literally the slowest person at cross country I, I can't even remember even finishing it. I think I might have even had to pull out two kilometers around school. Like running was an embarrassment for me. Even my parents 
think that I look weird running and I don't blame them. I look weird running. (laughs) (laughs) But that had manifested itself to me essentially banning running out of my life. And since going into it, I've realized that no matter how shit you are or you think you are at something, you can get into the top one or 5% of that given sport if you commit a certain amount of hours to it whether that's running, whether it's ice hockey, whether it's tennis, whether it's ping pong, whatever it is, if you are committed and you want to achieve it and you have a goal in sight and you've got a time-oriented goal, you've got to get it done. You've got to put the training in, otherwise it's going to show. If I don't rock up and do a 30K, my zone two training is going to suffer and I might not get that 330 goal. And it was always in my mind, if I don't put in those training days where I feel like absolute death, then it's going to show on race day. It's always in my head. And I'm calling myself out by saying, I'm going to get 3.30. If I don't get 3.30, the only person that's responsible for that is me. I can't blame it on any external factors. I know I put a nail in my foot. But again, that is my own doing. Can't do anything about that. Luckily, it was a table week. But it's all about, for me, trying stuff that I'm bad at and reframing my mind to saying, right, you're not great now, but you could be really good and trying new stuff like that. And also, again, it's a really good way for me to process thoughts and feelings. And if there's an emotional attachment to it, like I've always loved mountains. So anything revolving mountains is something that I find incredibly interesting for any kind of challenge focus. And that's leading into something you're doing next year, right? Yeah. Climbing Mont Blanc pretty sick yeah it should be really good gonna be pretty cold what what time of year are you doing it we're doing it in june because that's the earliest you can climb it safely oh really yeah i was not aware of that yeah you can do it in winter but it's quite dangerous um with the amount of snow they have um you can't do it without a guide right now i i'm hoping that this isn't some sort of sick surprise that you're gonna make the revive club do <laughs> but do you want to talk a little bit about what the revive club is because i'm aware that i am i'm part of it yeah it, it, it has grown pretty quickly as well so yeah relatively sizable yeah it, it was uh, about eight weeks ago um a friend of mine jenny she has a run club and it's done phenomenally well and i thought there's such a big community of people in fitness in london that want to try new things and want to meet people on the weekends that don't go out on a friday and get smashed at infernos but go to bed early on friday and think okay i'm gonna wake up at six and go for a run or whatever that is or go train do crossfit go to the gym and since stopping drinking i've always found i've always wanted to have something on the weekend to look forward to that will take me away from that friday fomo feeling it's quite a good little phrase there uh (laughs) and I thought, how can I create a club that not only combines what I like in terms of running, but also in terms of actually like physical strength training? Because I'm not a, I'm not just a runner. Like I'm, I don't have a runner's build. I'm heavy. I love weight training. I love other aspects of training. I love conditioning. So we thought of combining different activities, but with the same people that allows people to do maybe a run one week and then high rocks and maybe some other conditioning. But by doing it with the same people, it feels a lot less intimidating because they don't have to meet new people every week, which for me, as someone that's kind of introverted generally, I'm pretty nervous when I meet new people. It kind of turns me away from trying something new. So if you're trying new things, but with the same people, it kind of eliminates 
that first initial kind of, I don't want to go um, because I don't want to try and make friends. But if you know every week that the same people are going to be there, you've had coffee with them on Wednesday, you've made friends with them, it makes it such more relaxing state. And in the last eight weeks, we started with runs when it was um, nice weather, alternating with high rocks. Um, kind of conditioning and now we're focusing predominantly each week on doing high conditioning because the weather is so crap i can literally yeah, hear the rain i don't know if anyone can hear outside <laughs> but it's just like absolutely pissing it down um well i mean you've you've effectively grown a bit of a community yeah and i say a bit of a community it's it's got quite big already i mean on saturday's event there was 50 people there but i think in the groups that you've got there's almost like four or five hundred people yeah i think on facebook it's 500 and whatsapp it's like another 250 so which is insane but in terms of communities, mm. it's got to have been a good 10 minutes ago. So anyone else that remembered that I never got to point three on your list, uh, yeah. well done. I figure, because I said I think I know what your third your third biggest event of the year would be, was it joining a new community and getting your discount code in time for Black Friday? Yeah, it probably would have been, yeah. yeah. How did that come about? So yeah, signed with Gymshark this year, which was a life goal, proper like teenage me inside here was smiling and has been since. <laughs> Probably doing more than smiling. Yeah, like just just absolutely <laughs> buzzing. Like it was, it, you know who when you kind of meet a celebrity or someone that you think, you, you just like look at someone on like a TV or film, you think I would be really good friends with that person. Yeah. So you don't like go up to them and then your friends are like, oh, go get a selfie with them. You don't want to get a selfie with them because you're just like, no, no, no. That's I'm not gonna what be, I do because we're no, going to be mates. We're yeah. going to be mates. Yeah. I was like that with Gymshark. I was like, I don't want to like go and ask to be like an ambassador. I don't want to like tag them in loads of things. I don't want to push too much because I know in my head, I'm going to work with them in the future. I'm going to make that happen. I don't want to come across like I'm begging for it and I really need it. I want to create content that they want to work with me and I want to create a community that respects that and that I'm not going to be plugging loads of different brands and pushing these kind of things. It's always been a brand for me that I've wanted to work with, but I was never ever going to force it because a lot of the time with kind of social media, you can really push things and it can come across um well not in the best way so i thought how can i do this the main thing is improving my content improving the way i come across on camera and that was always a big focus this year is to do that and then also trying new sports i actually met lucy who um was one of the managers at gymshark just spontaneously and it was one of those moments where you think is this like fate mm. uh, because we were also talking me and my management were talking with Gymshark at the time. And then I met Lucy, didn't know what she did. We ended up having a chat for like half an hour. Still didn't have any idea what she did. I'm just talking about fitness and goals and things like that. And then she was like, oh, I work at Gymshark. What do you do? I was like, no way. We're literally in discussion with you. And she was like, oh, I know you're managing. And then kind of the rest is history. But it took a certain, a pretty long amount of time from that chat to actually happen um, where kind of signing of the contracts but from that moment on it just yeah it, it was a bit surreal for me to be able to say that I work with them um and it's not it's just like it's mad sometimes to think about the if you go back on my Instagram you see like the early videos of me like doing pull-ups in the park 
and just thinking that guy was always trying to get to the point where he is now um yeah it's wild how how is it how how is it being a gymshark athlete it's um do you know what like the community is great like uh it's and just the people there like unreal and going to some of the events they host and going to the gym gym there um and working with adam and lucy um before adam left so they're really good people i think that's it like when you go into fitness especially like in content creation you can you look at all these like big fitness magnets like fit uh gymshark vanquish these supplement companies and think how i how how does it all work like it all seems so big like i i don't know what i'm doing all i want to do is like um build my community and focus on this but like i also i need to pay my bills and there comes a point where it's kind of like how do i do that um and then you get to a, a stage where your content is is growing and you're you're doing better videos doing better photos whatever that is you're providing more value and these brands say we, we like what you're doing would you consider working with us and whether that's a yes or a no it's like you realize how small that world is and a lot of the managers also know each other so if you're not if you're not a right fit for one, you could be another right fit for others. So anyone that is looking to kind of start creating content and has this fear of this whole big world of how to work with brands and how to do this kind of stuff is realistically a very small world. Um, but for me, it's been a great journey to to work with each each brand that I have done. And I'm looking forward to next year to see what's possible. But yeah, Gymshark's been a great, great start. I would not not be here without them, probably. Awesome. So, I mean, I remember being a teenager as well and Gymshark starting and everything like that and being mm. like, car, this is amazing. And you look at people like Scott, he's like pretty much the face of Gymshark for a period. Um, and just these people, which you now will get the opportunity to meet at some of their events and that sort of thing. Does that... A bit like you said, you don't want to take selfies with these people because yeah. you're now, you know, you know, you're an athlete alongside them. Yeah, I can still imagine it feels pretty surreal when you are there. Yeah, that's it. It's like you, from watching social media when I wasn't in fitness and seeing um, all these people, like Ross Edgley, for example. Like I used to watch Ross Edgley so much when I wasn't in fitness, just because I found his stuff like super motivating. And then training in the same gym as him and just like being on a shoot and he's just there training. I'm like, it's, it's just weird. And you, you see people and you think, wow, this is so surreal. And you meet them and you think they're, they're just so normal. They're so nice. And I've never had an experience where, I mean, luckily I've never had an experience, you know, when you say don't meet your heroes. Um, <laughs> but every person, I think it is unique to the fitness space that most people in fitness are driven and motivated and care about other people um, because they provide value to other people. So for me, meeting those kind of childhood heroes and positive motivators has never had a bad experience for me. It's always been a positive one, which I'm super grateful for. And are you aware now that you are one of those people for other people? Yeah, that's weird. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like, yeah, I am like I I do have an impact on people's well-being and their mindset and that those messages 
mean the most to me when I get a DM from someone that says, you helped me get my first run or I've literally just found some motivation to go on a walk or you're the reason I started in the gym nine months ago and I've lost X amount of weight. Those messages, and I think every single person that has a community in fitness would, would agree that they mean the most because they're so personal and someone has taken the time out of their day to say that to you is unreal. Whereas most people will kind of spread hate in the DMs, whatever it is, getting a positive DM like that is just, it means the world. So obviously there are elements of imposter syndrome where you think like, like, how am I doing this? Who, who actually cares? And then you get those moments and people reach out and you think, okay, I, I need to keep doing this. This is having a good effect. This is like helping people. There's a there's a particular video that comes to mind, um, which I, I wanted to touch on actually. Um, you put a video out. Obviously, you were getting your top off amongst other things for your bodybuilding contest, and you 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 made a video about that you're actually not really that comfortable doing that all of the time. No. And you kind of went into it. You, you, was it rib flare? Yeah, that you have, and it's an insecurity of yours. And Big time. how have you? How do you deal with that? Because I can appreciate that insecurity doesn't just go away. No, you, it's a it's a constant battle. And in terms of advice for anyone listening that has an insecurity about something and the way they look, what what do you do about it? I think my biggest piece of advice is to like make it your strength. Like you are unique by your insecurity. If you embrace it and use it to your advantage it can help so many other people in terms of that mindset that you've now adopted you own it you accept it you make it yours you don't give a shit what anyone thinks about it and then you put out a video for example what i did discussing how because of my spine i had anterior pelvic tilt which caused rib flare and um, pectus excavatum which basically like it's kind of like pigeon chest but it's not that severe now because i've worked on it that's the main thing like i was so insecure about it that I wouldn't take my top off. And I had no idea what it was either. Someone pointed it out to me on a YouTube video I made. And that was like the start of it. I didn't know I had a problem until oh, wow. okay. it was identified. So it was like a late developed yeah. insecurity. I, I just thought my ribs were just a bit sticky out Right. And then someone was like, oh, you've got rib flare. And then that video just continues to like constant rib flare, rib flare, or like pectus, whatever it was. Um, and then I started making um, kind of connections about why I have it, what that triggered. Um, and then for me, it definitely did impact how I felt about myself and what that kind of meant in terms of my bodybuilding stuff, which I wanted to go on stage and realized it wasn't desirable. So it's like, oh, shit, maybe I'm not meant for bodybuilding. Um, but then you kind of, it took me a while to get over that. So the first thing for me was correcting anterior pelvic tilt, which is basically tilting your hips back into a neutral, neutral position. I think I have a bit of that, actually. A lot of people have it. So what, what are the steps to... Um, a lot of strengthening of your kind of glutes, hip flexors, quads, but also stretching. A lot of people have tight lower body and their hips because we're in this sedentary position all the time. Um, and also strengthening your core, lower back, for me, getting back into fitness, I did a lot of calisthenics training, which helped. And then it allowed me to have the ability to like tuck my ribs down so I could squeeze my abs to push my ribs down so that when I did take my top off, you can really tell. But it took a long time to get to that. 
And since putting out those videos, I had so many guys, mainly guys, they're also girls as well, but it's more common in guys, reach out to me completely terrified of how they feel. And they, a lot of them are young teenagers that are kind of like going through puberty that have access to internet and are scared at seeing their ribs and feel like they're different. And ultimately it's accepting that you are your body. You can't change every aspect of it. And if you can help other people that have the same thing and be a positive kind of reinforcement for other people and say, look, it's not going to kill you. It's not going to make you a worse person. In fact, it can make you a better person if you use it right. So that's what I've tried to do. And I think the response from that has been amazing. And even people in the fitness space that I didn't know have it have come out to me and said, thank you so much for making that. I never knew anyone had that. And that has been a big, big win for me, making stuff like that and getting over it myself. But still, I struggle with it. And just getting over it is tricky. So, I mean, you've if we if we go back to the start of this conversation, we've gone right from the beginning of everything and talking about skiing and into some insecurities and what you've been able to achieve now and what you're looking ahead to do next year. If you could give yourself three pieces of advice going from when you were younger, at any three points, you can yeah. find them. But what would the three pieces of advice be if you could sit your old self down in a room? Probably the biggest one is just keep going. Like the consistency will be anything. If you're consistent in anything, you will succeed in it, whether that's running, whether it's business. I know you're going to fail probably a lot of times like I have, but if you're consistent in it, you're going to achieve success along the way. Biggest thing, just keep going. Just keep going. That's what I say to my clients as well. doesn't matter if you miss part of your session, you showed up, you are consistent in rocking up to the gym. If you're consistent in brushing your teeth, you're going to have good teeth. If you're consistent in doing your morning routine, you're going to have a better day. Stay consistent. Biggest thing. Second one, which is also a big thing for me, which is do the things. Imagine myself as the person I really, really want to be. What What's the best version of myself in the future? What do they look like? What do they do? When do they get up? When do they go to bed? What do they eat? Write down all of those habits that that amazing version of me does and start doing them. You will become that version of you if you do that. There's no way that you won't that's probably the biggest thing that i've learned in the last year and a half about putting those in place i want to run a marathon what would that marathon runner do he'd get up at seven or six he'd get his run done before work he'd do the he'd do his nutrition and make sure it is done and he'd stick to it that has taken me there and thirdly is essentially just having no no quit and applying grit there's a point at which all of that training means nothing and you just have to fucking pull something out and having the mental strength of just be i'm not i'm not stopping like pain is a privilege the pain that i get here at 38 39 kilometers in i cannot get by doing anything else that privilege can only be achieved from doing the 38 39 k's and i'm going to hold on to that and use it as drive but you cannot get that without doing the 38 case and i saw someone talk about it it's like that feeling of crossing the 100 mile mark you can't get that without having to do the 99 miles before it it's that same like grit to just get it done it's not pretty it's not fun but it's the most rewarding thing you ever do it's worth it yeah 
Amazing. Um, well, it's been an absolute pleasure to to have you on, and I've really enjoyed talking through that and learning learning more from yourself. Um, I think obviously um, you can plug. Obviously, the the Revive Club we've we've yeah. plugged a little bit there. I, as a person that that goes along every week, have thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't know how. I am now doing things that are on the realm, <laughs> on the brink of being CrossFit when I always said I would never do that, but it's actually yeah. annoyingly quite fun. Um, and some of the runs and stuff through London, it's different routes that I would normally do. I've met some amazing people at those events as well, and it's really sort of motivating to meet those people, and they're all so lovely. Yeah. Um, what else would you like to, to plug? Obviously, you've got your online coaching. Yeah, so if you are interested in training, it's milomccfit.com. And if you want to join the Revive kind of group and show up to any of these events, it's in my Instagram bio, which is mccfituk. Um, TikTok is mccfit. And same with YouTube. So, yeah, plenty more to come. It's going to be a big year. Looking forward to it. And uh, hoping to take a good community of people along with the ride. Awesome. And based on the fact that this podcast is probably coming out before Christmas still, if you're a person that's listening and hasn't done all of your Christmas shopping yet, shame on you but what code can they use code mcfit code mcc fit i don't have a code that you can use <laughs> so we'll we'll use yours yeah. for now jim shark uh, christmas list jim shark christmas list there we go um but no seriously thank you thank you very much for coming on um, and i don't want to say that i look forward to this weekend with another high rock session it's the last one i'll christmas. be there i'll be there um it's gonna be good Awesome. Well, thank you very much for, for listening, guys. And any of you that have been watching on the YouTube, um, then leave a comment, subscribe on there. If you want to follow along and subscribe to the to the Spotify um, podcast as well, that's fantastic. You guys probably know by now, uh, but I have uh, at mindsets underscore podcast on YouTube, TikTok and Instagram. Um, so feel free to, to join in with the journey uh, and see who we've got coming on. Uh, a little bit in advance as well so it's been a pleasure to have uh, you join us and i look forward to catching you guys in the next one